music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me as always is Fred Moreland. And you are getting this at your normal time, but just want to be clear here. We are going to be dropping our episodes now on either Thursday or Friday after Dynamite to try and be a little bit more current for you, our listener. But today is not about Dynamite. It is not about Rampage. It is not about Sasha Banks or Mercedes Monet. It is about the 2022 Voices of Wrestling Match of the Year poll. And Fred and I are going to reveal our Match of the Year lists. Fred, this is always a really exciting time. And I know not only have you put together your list, but you've also been doing a lot of work with Cage Match and figuring out the wrestler of the year there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I put together my list of the top 10 and uh, voted on it because I write for Voices of Wrestling, I guess. And uh, they've decided that that somehow makes me qualified to do other things. They haven't like kicked me out yet. I still don't understand that. Um, but yeah, so I got my uh, top 10 uh, after watching nearly 1400 matches this past year because I'm a friggin nerd. Um and then uh, I also have, if you want to talk about that after we talk about our ballots, uh, yeah, I a uh, couple times this year I've taken all the match data, the the match ratings off of Cage Match, and uh, used those to try to find out who should win the Most Outstanding Wrestler Award from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Um, and I just finished going through all the data from 2022 and writing it up and uh, posting about it. And, uh, yeah, we can talk about the results of that at the end, because number one is uh, not going to be who most people think, at least in terms of total points. Yeah, the, I, I really like the total point system, and I know you've got, like, an aggregation to where, like, it's an average point total. So I think those two numbers are going to be very interesting and very different at the same time. Yes. But let's get going here, Fred. Um, we are going to go kind of go one by one. Um, we'll start with you. What was your number 10 match of the year? Uh, my top 10 is going to feature a lot of FTR, and number 10 is uh, one that I think got a little overlooked in that fantastic year they had in 2022. It was them defending the IWGP Tag Team Championship against Aussie Open at Royal Quest on October 1st. That's... I thought this this was a really good match. Uh, I thought it was about the best I've seen from Aussie Open, who I think had a, a what would normally be a like Tag Team of the Year contender year, but it just, you know, FTR just ran away with it. Um so, yeah, I think that this was just a fantastic match, really exciting with a hot crowd, and uh, it's just great stuff. 
yeah, that I'm really excited to see what Aussie Open does now that they're more on a mainstream level and they're getting a push in New Japan. They're getting main event time on AEW whenever they come over. And I think that they are primed to have an absolutely tremendous uh, 2023 because they are finally getting the prime spot. They've honestly deserved for a few years. And that match against FTR was tremendous. Yeah, and if you liked Aussie Open, I mean, they had several other good matches this year. They did fantastic work in that uh, in the six man tag tournament alongside Will Ospreay, of course, and AEW. Um, they also had, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I think they had a great, maybe the best tag team match in uh, Impact this year against uh, Ace Austin and Chris Bay, uh, and the World Tag League final against Hiroki Goto and uh, Yoshihashi was also very good. So uh, if you didn't check out Aussie Open this year, you should get on that. They're just a fantastic tag team. Absolutely. My number 10 match of the year is Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston from AEW Revolution, March 6th. I gave it four and three quarter stars. I The little wrestling I watched this year, I I did not watch 1,400 matches. I probably watched in the neighborhood of like five to 700. This match stood out for many reasons, and they built up Eddie Kingston because he was a fan favorite from pretty much the get-go, and they had to turn him babyface. They did so with the time bomb death match um, with John Moxley and Kenny Omega. And the fans just absolutely love Eddie Kingston, but he's never been able to win a really big match uh, in a big spot. And this match, Eddie did his normal Kings road stuff. Jericho was absolutely tremendous. And Kingston finally won. And he did so with the stretch plum, which I thought was just a really, really nice touch. This, I saw somebody, I, I believe it was Sean Cedar make this his match of the year. And I was thrilled to see that it's getting a lot of love. This was arguably my second favorite match of the year, but as far as match quality, which is what I, I do this list based on it, it came in at number 10. Yeah. I, uh, this was the match I think opened immediately with like Kingston dumping Jericho right on his dome with some suplex. Um, I thought this was a, a fantastic match as well. I went four stars on it or four or five stars on it. Um, and I just thought it was great. Uh, really good stuff from those two and uh, much better than the uh, barbed wire match that came later that year. Yeah, that could have been really, really good. It just did not come to be. Uh, Fred, what is your number nine match of the year? My number nine match is uh, from another New Japan but not in Japan match. It was the from Windy City Riot on April 16th. Uh, so I think uh, not quite WrestleMania weekend. It was John Moxley against Will Ospreay. Uh, these two, I think, uh, are probably going to be, if not the top two, like very close to being the top two wrestlers of the year for me. Uh, they just had a fantastic match, and it was a really cool pairing with Will Ospreay's uh, kind of evolution of his style from his earlier days of doing a lot of flips to uh, the more complete work he does now. And John Moxley just having quite possibly the best year of his career uh, as AEW's MVP. Just uh, a great combination, a very violent match, and uh, very cool. I thought what was really cool about this was the crowd was very, very hot. And you could tell that Will Ospreay was excited to work in front of this crowd. This one barely missed my match of the year list because I I loved it too. And they continued that storyline with Will Ospreay against the refs um, at the end. And it was just, everything was built so well. Moxley and Ospreay had way better chemistry than I expected. And this was, if this 
could have been in a bigger building, I think you would have more representation on a match of the year list. But I don't think a lot of people tune in the Windy City Riot. No, especially with it being uh, on New Japan World pay-per-view, so you had to pay extra money on top of that. I waited until I got to the free service because I'm cheap. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. My number nine match of the year. Um, best of the Super Juniors uh, from May 26th. El Phantasmo versus Robbie Eagles. This was my favorite match of the year. I loved, loved watching this match. Uh, you just didn't quite know what you were going to get from El Phantasmo. He's kind of been teasing a little bit of a babyface turn over the course of the last calendar year. It feels like either he's going to go full on babyface or he's going to end up taking over Bullet Club. It, I, I think they want to make him the next Kenny Omega. And this match against Robbie Eagles, he pulled out a lot of stops. He did multiple finishing moves and or at least attempted a former Bullet Club leaders. Robbie Eagles ended up winning with the Ron Miller special after hitting the 450 on his knee. This was a almost a five-star match for me, and I loved it from start to finish. Yeah, this was another really good match to me. I gave I gave it five stars. And for people that are wondering how many five-star matches I had, I had 26. So like two percent of the matches I watched where I specifically went out of my way to watch good matches all year. Um, I thought this was fantastic. The The thing with El Phantasmo and Robbie Eagles is between uh, opportunities or lack thereof and also uh, just like how, especially Phantasmo, how he works. You don't, I, I feel like they should be having more high rated matches than they do. They're both fantastic workers and this was a great match that did a wonderful job paying off like years of storylines between these two. And uh, I thought it was just a fantastic end to that storyline and Phantasmo shortly thereafter moving up to heavyweight. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for the future of El Phantasmo. And Robbie Eagles just continues to be tremendous. I love that he's a junior. He can do the flippy-do stuff, but he is not a flippy-do guy. And it, it really adds a nice element to this junior division. Uh, Fred, your number eight match of the year my number eight match of the year and because of fred flation and uh just generally uh being a scale breaker pervert uh i this is another five and a quarter match uh for me which is what all four what all three of the ones i've talked about so far have been this was uh from wrestle kingdom day one on january 4th uh okada versus shingo i don't know what else i need to say other than that just two of the absolute best in the world going at it and i thought this was uh, an absolute highlight yeah, I like that match, but it, it just I, – I didn't get to that level for me um, as some of the other ones because, like you, I had a lot – I thought I had a lot of five-star matches. I actually left one five-star match off because I – even though technically it was – I gave it a better rating, um, and I actually it was this one. Um, I knocked it down, and I actually left it off my list because I wanted to give love to the other two. The rest of my matches will be five stars and just it's so hard to say anything bad about these two wrestlers. It really is. They're just tremendous workers and they deliver pretty much every single moment they're in the ring. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, just two absolute guys at the best of their game, just going at it and having a match, uh, given a lot of time in a major setting. Yeah, it was clap crowds and that's tough. But I mean, there's, you know, some New Japan matches were able to overcome that. And this was one of them. Mm -hmm. All right. My number eight match of the year is 
the match that is not getting nearly as much love as I think it should. Um, Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay from Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. I gave it five stars. If, I, if I'm remembering correctly, we like Okada came out and just came out guns blazing after it. people. Were people talking about him being watched right before this match? Like with the, with yeah, the back? I, yeah, because he, he spent a long time selling his back and like a bunch of people you know, fell for the kayfabe and, uh, and then he was just like, I'm back baby. And, uh, just had a fantastic year. Um, if it wasn't for some, like just Will Ospreay losing his mind and, uh, some other guys just having fantastic years. Plus it's like the LeBron effect or the Michael Jordan effect where, you know, yeah, a guy's great every single year. There's fatigue with that when it comes to voting. And like, that's why LeBron James hasn't won every MVP, you know, for like the 2010s or like why Michael Jordan just didn't get the NBA MVP every year in the nineties. Um, you go back and you look and like undoubtedly Michael Jordan was the best player every year. He was active in the nineties and, you know, LeBron in the 2010s, but uh, you know, they didn't get the MVPs every year because, you know, it's a storyline. It's a, well, basically the media finds storylines and qualms onto them. And to some effect, the fans do too. Um, Okada is just one of the best wrestlers of all time. And if you, you know, it, it's fun to find new guys to follow and love, but, you know, Okada is always there for you. Yeah. Oh, and you could tell that they are setting up a really big moment for Will Ospreay. And you you could really see it throughout the match. He beat, uh, uh, sorry, Osprey beat Okada at the end of the G1. Um, I, I believe it was this year because that was pretty much when they were forming the, the United Empire. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of meant to be, hey, like you, you can beat me, but you can't beat me in the big spot. Right. And they kind of did a same, uh, like a similar arc with Omega, but it they're going to be sl- they're going to be different. And I think we're going to see Will Ospreay within the next three years beat Okada at the Tokyo Dome because next year I think the the plan is very simple. It's going to mm-hmm. be Osprey beating Omega it at the to Tokyo be. Dome um, in the first ever Gaijin only main event. And it will also be the first time a Gaijin ever wins the main event at the Tokyo Dome because we've had Kenny Omega in it twice, Jay White in it twice, and neither and then Osprey in it once. They are 0 for 5. Yeah. So, and we talk, we've talked about stuff like this for a long time in New Japan. They've always pushed homegrown wrestlers. They've always pushed native wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And we're in a different era, and it's it's good that we're in a different era because we're seeing a lot more new blood in this division really ascend to the top. And I think Osprey's time is coming, but he, he just wasn't able to get over the hump here. Yeah. I, I thought this was uh, a lot of fun. Just, uh, and you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of hype for their G1 match. I like that G1 match far less than this one. I only went four yeah. and a half on that. And I, you know, I'm just kind of surprised. Um, but uh, hey, uh, it's Omega and Osprey. It's uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Osprey and Okada. It's never going to be a bad time. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I I can't remember what I gave that match, but I don't remember loving it. I thought it was good. Very yeah, good. I was let down by it. I mean, if you're, you're telling me Okada Osprey are having a match, I'm like already like expecting a five star classic. And uh, if when I put down something less than five, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> Which is crazy to think, you know, but. Yeah, there was 
I'm going to have to go rewatch it to get a better sense for it. But I, I couldn't tell you a damn spot about that match. Yeah. Um, number seven match of the year for you, Fred. Uh, I want to read a quote from uh, one of history's greatest philosophers. Um, you know, I just, whenever I'm down, I just think of this quote and it really lifts me up. And it's, uh, you want your five-star matches, your 30-minute classics. I want big, meaty men slapping meat. Uh, Big E is absolutely correct. Number seven here is Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii, uh, a match between my two favorite grumpy fathers that just got off shift work. (laughs) Uh, These guys just beat the ever-loving hell out of each other on a pre-show match for AEW All Out, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous that these two weren't even on a pay-per-view, and they just chopped the living hell out of each other. It was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, this was five and a quarter stars for me. Uh, absolute must see. It's still on YouTube. If you haven't seen this, please take the time because it's fantastic. It, it's, you know, Kingston still brings his all Japan, you know, uh, style from the 90s. Uh, very inspired by that. And then Ishii is just at his peak as Ishii. It might be his, it has to be Ishii's best uh, American performance ever. And he's had a bunch of very good ones, but this was just sublime, I thought. No, I remember this match and I gave it four and three quarters. It was just, like you said, meaty men slapping meat. And Ishii is just has a tremendous style. And oh, yeah. we have been incredibly blessed to have him. The man's 48 years old and he's still doing this like crazy. He is fantastic. He, he's so good at everything, but especially selling. And uh, just watch one of Ishii's great matches and watch him sell. And that's just a masterpiece class in uh, just, or master class, I should say, just mixed up words today uh, in selling. Like he's great at everything that he does, but selling is just for Ishii is just an art form. And uh, you got some of that here. Kingston is like a perfect uh, sympathetic baby face too. So these two just had a great match. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch just because I love meaty men slapping meat. It's great. Um, my number seven match of the year is the FTR Briscoes match that nobody is talking about. And it makes me very sad because I thought it was really, really close to the, the dog collar match. And that is um, FTR versus the Briscoes. The, sorry, this is, this is the one that everybody else is talking about. Oh, I'm okay. getting ahead of myself. Um, this is FTR versus the Briscoes on four, one at super card of honor. Okay. I gave it five stars. I loved this. It, I had no idea what to expect when I watched these two, when I was going to watch this match. Because FTR, really good tag team. The Briscoes, really good tag team. But that doesn't mean they're going to be great together. Yeah. It could be water and oil. It could be like olive oil and steak. Like we just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, going into the Slack and hearing the live reactions, like this could be match of the year. I'm like, whoa, okay. So jumped in and it was everything you could have asked for. These two teams went to war. They had a level of respect for each other. And I, I don't, it's weird because this is one of those matches. I don't remember any spot from it. I couldn't tell you one, but it doesn't matter because everything just flowed incredibly. It was violent. It was brutal. There was real energy and passion with these wrestlers and they took things to another level. And I'll be honest, without this match, you probably don't see a true rebirth of ring of honor. Like we're seeing with Tony Khan because they, brought ring of honor back 
Yeah, it, it's this entire match was this match was the entire reason that uh, Ring of Honor had the year they did because it set up the rest of that feud, which is my pick for feud of the year. Just because I figure you have three high level matches like they did, and you can't go against it. Um, and I mean, it was just fantastic, just an absolute must see. Um, but uh, you know, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Teasers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what is your number six match of the year? Uh, my number six match of the year is the return of the Elite at Full Gear on November 19th this year against uh, Death Triangle in their match for the World Trios Championship. Uh, this was just fantastic. You got six of the best athletes in the world just going all out and doing everything they can. And somehow setting up a best of seven series afterwards that did not disappoint at any point uh, in it. Uh, every match of those was fantastic. And... Um, I, you know, I went uh, five and a half on this. I thought it was a step up from everything I've talked about so far. Uh, just a great, great match. Yeah, um, I loved it, too. It did not make my match of the year list. Um, honestly, uh, none of those matches made my match of the year list. But you're going to see a lot of representation in the Dynamite Dozen um, from these two teams. Um, that was a really fun match. And I, I loved the hammer finish. Yeah, that was really cool. And, you know, what I'm really interested to see when the the voices uh, full voices list is released is how the matches from this series do on that list because you can make an argument for several of them deserving top ten spots, and uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if like there's some vote splitting there where you don't get any near like the top twenty five, but you have several that are like in the bottom half of the top hundred. Yeah, great stuff. Um, my number six match of the year. Um, United Empire versus the Elites from Dynamite on August 31st, um, the semifinals of the Trios Tag Team title tournament. Look, this was the first time we really got to see Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega in a ring because the first, the only other time that they had a match against each other was in PWG back in 2015 when Will Ospreay was a baby. And this is a much, much different version of Ospreay. He can do flippy-doo. He can, he can honestly work any style now. And oh, yeah his growth will not be recognized by some segments of the wrestling audience because it's Will Ospreay and he's kind of a douchebag as far as how he presents himself on Twitter. Like that's, that that's his gimmick. Fine. Ospreay has turned himself into what we could honestly potentially call the greatest wrestler that ever lived by the time his career is done. And that that is not an insane track. And we're going to talk more about your cage match uh, data pulling here in a little bit, Fred. And Osprey comes out looking tremendous, and he is—he continues to have great matches against everybody. This match with the Elite was tremendous because Aussie Open, like Mark Davis, some of the stuff he's able to do as just an absolute unit. The man's like six four, two seventy-five. He's doing topes, brick like, shit house. He and Kyle Fletcher are throwing the bucks around. Omega's doing his stuff, and this eventually it got to a point where it was Osprey, I believe, versus all three members of the Elite. And Osprey is basically like, just fuck you. And yeah. just goes to war. This, I'm envious that I couldn't get to Chicago early enough to go watch this match. But, man, was it tremendous. Um, I cannot wait for the streaming service. This will be right at the top of the list for first rewatch. I thought this was great. I went four and three quarters on it. I think that the TV formatting just threw me a little bit on this one for some reason. Uh, but I, I, you know, I love this match. Like, you can't say enough good things about it, I don't think. No, absolutely. Now we are in our top five 
Fred, who's at five for you? Five for me is that uh, FTR Briscoe's uh, Supercard of Honor match you mentioned from April 1st. I'm not going to belabor the point. Everything you said, I agree with. I thought this was great. Uh, went five and a half on it. And uh, yeah, uh, fantastic match, which I think will have a lot of historical importance as we go forward. Oh, absolutely. Um, I loved that match, but my number five match is the match that I think should be getting a lot more love and isn't. And that's FTR versus the Briscoes. 723. I can't remember which pay-per-view it was. Um uh, it was Death, Death Before, Before Dishonor. Dishonor. Yeah. Death Before Dishonor. Um, I gave it five stars. Look, it's really hard to have a great match and then have another great match, but it's almost impossible to have a, a five-star match and then top it. And I thought they topped it with this. They built everything so well. Obviously, you kind of saw it telegraphed a little bit, and it's hard with best two out of three falls um matches. Because usually the winner of the first fall doesn't win the match. And that happened here. But they kept you invested. And after they got the, the Briscoes got the pin um, early on. And then it they segmented it well because it was about 19 minutes, about 12. And then they did it about another 10. This match was phenomenal from start to finish. And I really hope that people recognize how great this was. And not just sandwich in between um, Supercard of Honor and Final Battle. Because this, this in a normal year, I think would be a top three match of the year. I hated this match, Tyler. Um, so much I gave it number 11 on my list. It was <laughs> just right out of there. I, I, you know, I thought this was another fantastic match from those thir- two, two teams, four, four men, as I split the difference. Um, just fantastic stuff. Yeah, awesome match. I'm I'm really excited to get it give it another watch because it was it was phenomenal. Um Fred, your number four match of the year. My number four match of the year is uh kind of surprising for me because given how I generally feel about their product, but it's uh Seamus and Gunter from Clash at the Castle for WWE on September third. Again, go back to the uh slap and meat comment, just just beating the hell out of each other. It was a ton of fun and uh Easily the best thing I've seen in WWE in a long time. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I didn't get a chance to watch that match, but I heard a lot of really good things. And it, I, I'm sorry, it's not Gunther. It is Walter. I can't believe that, that one, they changed his name. And two, he's not a big beefy boy anymore. He's just big. He's still, he's still great, though. He's still great. Oh, he's, he's still great. Um, but I'm going to have to try and uh, get to watching that match. But it's just so hard because WWE blows. Um I did, I did love his matches with Ilya Dragunov. I think he, that was my number four match of the year last year. Um, and Gunther, I guess. I'll, I'll, I'll transition. He just tremendous. Um, my number four match of the year, um, Forbidden Door. What probably should have been the main event. Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy. I gave it five stars. When this card was announced... You look at it, Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy, what a letdown. There's so many guys on that roster that you would probably prefer to have in that spot. But it ended up being the match that you never knew that you needed. You got the initial chicanery with Orange Cassidy, you know, being a, a little dork, a little goofball. But then he he took it to another level. And he became the Orange Cassidy that, oh, this is real. I'm not going to do my shtick. And he and Osprey just went back and forth, back and forth. and it was one of the best matches I have ever been able to watch. I was obsessed with it. And I 
really gave this serious thought for being my match of the year. Yeah, I uh, I've heard a lot of talk about it that way. I wasn't as high on it. I air quotes. I only went four and a half stars on it. Um, how dare I, you? I know I'm a monster, <laughs> uh, but I liked it a lot. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and I can definitely see how you would uh, think it's a top ten match of the year. Yeah, it's this resonated with me a lot, and it's going to be hard for me to ever question Tony Khan putting Orange Cassidy in a big spot again because he put him in this spot. They needed this card to deliver because of how disappointing the build was. And it became the show of the year. And I think a lot of that has to do with the success of this match. Because if this match bombs, you're going to have a completely different tone coming out of the show. Plus, you got Shibata coming in at the end, which is going to pop everyone every time. Yeah, that was a a very awesome moment as well. Um, Ready for my number three? Yes, sir. All right, uh, I went with Brian Danielson against Adam Page on January 5th as uh, Dynamite. Uh, so I have two matches from that uh, day. Uh, I thought this was fantastic. I thought that these two were just tailor-made for each other. And honestly, I'm a little sad that they only did the one match together. This Well, the two matches, I guess I should say. Um, but this was just fantastic. Um, I guess it was three matches now that I remember because they did one a few months ago. Um, I definitely know what I'm talking about. But yeah, this is great. I loved it. Um, just fantastic work from both of them. Uh, near nearly half an hour on free TV is just crazy to think about. I did not. I'm one of the few people I did not like this one more than I liked the 60 minute draw. I thought it was very good. I gave it, I believe, four and three quarters in in real time. But it did not hit me quite on a level of match of the year. But when you look at it from a from a neutral perspective, I totally get why. Um, especially because you love Brian Danielson and I do sometimes, sometimes I love Brian Danielson too, but not to that level. And it's just going to resonate with people more. Yeah. Um, and it's all and, personal preference. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. My number three match of the year from double or nothing on May 29th, anarchy in the arena. And I, this was, so the problem with some matches that are complete chaos and you have everybody going everywhere is you can miss a lot. I remember being in the building at full gear when they had the like the tag match um, with the Bucks and um, Adam Cole. And it was like the five on five and everybody was just everywhere. And it was just complete chaos. A lot of people hated it. I thought it was great, but I could see everything in real time. Yeah. And that, that can be a real challenge with these because you can't focus on like four or five different storylines happening all throughout. And if the production team doesn't nail this, this match it does not get nearly the love that it's getting. They deserve as much credit as the wrestlers because they they, they were bouncing back and forth. The announcers were phenomenal in keeping everything and then also having fun. Like, what the hell is going on? They created chaos. They had high spots. They had blood. They had brutality and violence. They and had this, comedy early on with yeah, the, the theme song playing. They had everything that you could want. And production is the reason why that this match is number three, because if production is not good, this match is probably just a four-star match, but they nailed every single element of it. And it honestly, if this would have been the blow off to the feud, I thought it would have been great, but the blow off to the feud ended up being a couple weeks later, blood and guts. And well, that hell, that wasn't even the blow off to the feud. They still went for another three months. Um, It should have been the blow off to the feud. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, no joke. Um, but that, that that has a lot to do with the the depth of the roster at that point. Anyways, the I can't say enough good things. Anarchy in the UK was absolutely insane and ridiculous in every possible good connotation you can think of. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. I think it would have been my number 12 match if I went down that far. Like, it just really sticks out to me from the five-star matches. And, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Wild Thing is a song that looped, if I'm not mistaken. It's been several months now. But mm-hmm. that, I was when it kicked off for the second time, because I was in the, the writer's slack, and I was uh, typing in all caps because I'm a very cool person about how they needed to replay the song. They needed to just have it go the entire match. They needed a new jacket. And um, I was a few seconds before y'all in the arena or behind y'all in the arena. And uh, Rich Krejci was like, you just need to wait for it. And then it hit the second time and I was uh, pumping my fist <laughs> in my, in my uh, den watching this, just hooting and hollering. It was fantastic. Just a total spectacle and just fantastic for that. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., yeah, um, just I'm fantastic blanking. stuff throughout. Are are you still you're still talking about anarchy? Yeah. Okay, I thought so, but my my brain I still have like a little bit of the COVID fog. Gotcha. Um, it's it's all good, man. It's all good. Look, I will say when that song looped, Jericho just being the ultimate shitbag professional, and then breaking um, the thing a couple minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> just you can't perfect. get better than that. It. Just tremendous stuff. Just a um, perfect idea. I loved it. Uh, Fred, your number two match of the year. My number two match of the year, which is another one I will not belabor, was Osprey versus Okada from Wrestle Kingdom uh, on January 5th. I just I thought this was fantastic. It overcame the clap crowds. It overcame all the other stuff. You know, New Japan coming off of two really down years after just a fantastic half of the 2010s. Um you know, the pandemic really hit them hard. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of talk about how this year's Wrestle Kingdom is what's going to drag them out of the abyss, such as it was for them. But I think this really kind of started getting them back in the right direction, this match right here. Uh, it was a great uh, exclamation point to their big uh, event of the year. And I just loved it. I just thought these two were tailor-made to work with each other. Yeah, these two are tailor-made and they built a really, really good story over the course of um, uh, Osprey's career because they had that match in Rev Pro and then Okada brings him into chaos. And it's really like a big brother, little brother kind of thing. And Osprey has to continue to try and overcome. Um, yes. Just tremendous stuff. Um, Fred, you will be shocked to know that um, my top two matches of the year uh, are gimmick matches. Um, okay. Number, number two. 
FTR Briscoe's three double dog collar from Final Battle on December tenth. What what can you say about this? They this, may, they, this might they be the mixed, best match I've ever seen. They mixed brutality. They mixed legit professional wrestling. They had blood. They had incredible spots. I will never forget. Um, I think it was um, Mark Briscoe pulling FTR hair with the dog collar off the apron and through that table. I will never forget that, that was spot. a wild spot. Oh, these guys built off their first two matches. They brought violence. They brought blood. They brought brutality. And they were still wrestling. And they had every single element. They had me eating out of the palm of their hand the entire time. I loved this. This is one of the few matches I watched back like within minutes after finishing because it was so good. And these two teams, I will say, I know it's, there's so many other elements at play. It's a fucking shame the Briscoes are not on Dynamite right now because they are two. They're the arguably the best tag team I've ever seen. Just with how they mix so many elements of professional wrestling, and they're they make the violence look so real. It doesn't feel like pro wrestling. It feels like they are literally trying to beat the shit out of you in a back alley, and that's what this match had. I will go to my grave thinking this is probably the best tag team match I've ever seen. You can remove tag team from that sentence for me. Um, I I saw Omega and Osprey. I can't put this above that. I think I like it better than Omega Osprey. It's close, but I I think and I just rewatched Omega Osprey with my wife uh, uh, this past weekend, and I still think FTR Briscoe's dog collar is above that for me. Not by much, your, but does your wife like pro wrestling? She says she doesn't. She'll watch stuff. <laughs> um, she'll watch uh, Dynamite with me, but that you know, any more than that, she'll just be like, "I'm good, thank you." But uh, she wanted to watch this match because she heard about it, and uh, I, you know, she was very impressed by it. She says she still likes the first uh, Osprey Okada match better there. So you know, deep puro lore for my wife. Hell yeah! All right, Fred, your number one match of the year. Well, I just blew it, but it's FTR Briscoe's dog collar. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I think it just meshed everything in pro wrestling. You want to see storytelling, violence, um, you know, just all this stuff. And everyone was perfect. It was the right match at the right time. It ca- had great callbacks to their previous matches. I, you know, I just love this match so much. Um, I think it's just one of the absolute best matches of all time. And uh, I, I know that, you know, we, we joke about FTR bald in his Twitter account sometimes and uh, how he needs to probably just delete that off his phone. But I mean, this was perfection. He had a mm-hmm. great performance in particular. Jay Briscoe was fantastic. Uh, you know, and Mark and Hare also had great nights too. I mean, what else can I say? Yeah, you know it's wild. I don't even think this is the best dog collar match of the year because my number one match is CM Punk versus MJF at full gear. Um, that the little things MJF uh, coming out because you knew he was excited for a dog collar match. Oh yeah, like he's he's a nerd like we are. He was thrilled. He gets out there and then he's standing around waiting, and then all of a sudden you hear Miseria Cantare play, and it's like, what is going on? Holy, and then you start to really hear the song, the fog comes out. And I remember I put in the slack that CM Punk better come out with his basketball shorts. 
And you know what? He did. And he came out with white shorts with black X's running up the sides. And I, and you could see MJF trying not to be a nerd. And he's just sitting in the corner, really having to work to look like a shit bag. And Punk comes out. And then w- w- once he does his thing, and you could see in his eyes, like Brawl Out is going to remove a lot of this from history because people are really jaded about CM Punk. The way his eyes looked when he, he is standing on the ropes and he is fist pumping and like singing along to Miseria Cantari by AFI. You can see the passion and the love for this business almost come back in full force. And then the dog collars came on and they beat each other. Absolutely senseless. There was blood everywhere. There was a spot where Punk was hanging MJF from the ropes. Like he's like on the apron and MJF's just screaming like a little pig. Just everything about this was tremendous. It didn't even matter in the, in the course of things that MJF lost because they delivered such a tremendous performance in this match. I will forever remember how I felt the beginning of that match. When you saw somebody who had everything taken away from him, just get reinvigorated by the love of professional wrestling. And that was when CM Punk hit the ring. I, it's it's that set the tone and then they delivered from there on out. Yeah. I mean, that was a great match. I loved it. Um, I, it is very unfortunate that I think it's going to be lost to history in a couple of years, just because of the fact that this was kind of supposed to be in the middle of a feud, like a long-term feud. And mm-hmm. uh, instead it wasn't uh, because of instance and, um, yeah, um, this was uh, it was a great match. Fantastic. I gave it five stars and uh, definitely my like top 20 of the year. Yeah, this is this is the best gimmick match I've ever seen. And th- there's there's some other really, really good ones. You know, one one that really comes to mind was uh, SummerSlam 2002 with Triple H and Shawn Michaels like that had some similar elements here because you had a hatred. Um, obviously that hatred was a lot deeper than this, but you also had Michaels who was coming back for the first time in what, like four years to actually wrestle in the ring. And you could see in him when he's got the mood of scale all over his face, you could see him like, I love this shit. And punk kind of had that same vibe. And I, that's, I think that's why it resonated so much with me that, you have MJF who's just a fucking history nerd like we are, but to see somebody reinvigorated was just, it just meant something more. Yeah, this was awesome. It was definitely the highlight of Punk's return and um, absolute must uh, see stuff. Uh, I do have a couple matches I want to mention that are not from the usual ones I watch. Um, Specifically, uh, I, I fell real behind on Julia uh, on starting this year, but uh, the earned uh, December 29th show with Julia and Siri, they just had a fantastic match going on the history, the years of history they've built uh, over the, the peak of stardom. Um, Dragon Gate, I only started to watch that even just a little bit this year, and like I can't claim to be like ready to go on uh, open the voice gate or anything. I only watched a handful <laughs> of matches, but uh, the 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 Canis, I think that's how you say it because it's been months since I've watched it. But uh, Canis's uh, 
retirement match, you know, when people are are crying in the ring while they're wrestling because of the emotion of it. Um, it's just a, a very unique uh, circumstance. The work was great in it, and it was a perfect send-off to someone that, as I understand it, again, not my expertise, was just um, really a, a big part of that uh, promotion. Um, in Michinoku Pro, they had uh, a match between uh, Musashi and uh, Fujita Hayato. And uh, Fujita Hayato was gone for like seven years, I think, from wrestling due to various health issues, including a pretty bad cancer scare uh, in his spinal column. And, you know, it was much like the Canis retirement match. There was just a lot of real promotion, you know, real emotion, I should say, uh, in this match. And uh, it was also just a very unique experience. And the last one I'm going to mention is uh, kind of from Just Tap Out, but, you know, from Takataichi, Despomania, uh, El Desperado versus Jun Kasai. Uh, El Desperado became a deathmatch legend this year. Uh, I love Jun Kasai, and I typically do not like death matches, but this was just great stuff. Uh, absolutely memorable. Desperado had himself a wonderful year, and this was kind of the exclamation point on it. Yeah, I I have not had an opportunity to watch that match, but it is on my short list. Um, one that I really wanted to mention, um, it, also from Dragon Gate, um, Jackie Funky Kamei and Jason Lee winning the tag team titles from Diamante and Shun Skywalker. Um, that I believe that was Kobe World. Oh. I think that's right. I'm pulling that up right now because I uh, I only went four and a quarter on that because I'm stingy. And all of a sudden, I guess uh, that no, that was a uh, no, that was a different match. I'm thinking of. I may not have seen that one. Um, um, that I gave it four and three quarters, and it barely missed my match of the year list. I know. Um, Case Low of Open the Voice Gate on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network had that match as his match of the year, and I don't blame him. Um, Jackie Funky Kamei is, to my knowledge, was viewed more of like a comedy guy, and he came in plucky babyface and won over everyone. He was, it was like a coming out party. Um, Skywalker and Diamante, um, were just these. Like, obviously, Dragon Gate-wise, they just look huge facing against uh, Lee and Funky Kamei. And it was phenomenal. They went to war. The, they were great bases for the the smaller guys. It was phenomenal from uh, start to finish. I, I really need to watch that match. Uh, I know Shooting Skywalker finished, like, third in the uh, FSM 50, and I don't know if I watched a single one of his matches this year. Sadly, uh, I'm going to put together my own attempt at an FSM 50 uh, list uh, in the next week or so. And, um, yeah, I, I that's someone I definitely need to catch up on. Yeah. Um, well, that is our match of the year. Now, Fred, let's talk about your wrestler of the year uh, compilings, because what you do is you kind of scrape cage match data. But there's there's a certain science behind it. Kind of explain it and let's talk about your results. Sure. Uh, so what I do is I take all the matches off of cage match that get at least 10 votes. Um, and for ones that get generally positive ratings begin because the voting on cage match, if you're not familiar with, with matches is on a one to 10 scale and it does like mm -hmm. a weighted average of those votes from everyone. And so you end up with, uh, you know, a range of ratings for them. Um, so what I did is I broke up the, uh, the ratings of matches into tiers, starting with a tier from 6.75 to 7.24, uh, 
all the way up to a tier of 9.25 and above, uh, which are relatively rare. And I, I awarded a certain number of points based on the tier. Uh, this column will be printed uh, probably, or published, I should say, probably Wednesday. So I think either after or about when this comes out. Um, and so I, I just kept track of that the whole year. Well, I didn't keep track of it. I re, I calculated it for everything from the whole year. Uh, ended up with a list of uh, 800 and, I'm sorry, 1,883 matches with at least uh, 6.75 points and 10 or more ratings. Then I awarded points for these. And um, basically, I came up with uh, who got the most points over the year and... Not number one is not Will Ospreay, as you would probably expect, despite his work in New Japan and uh, RevPro. He ended up as number two. Number one is Mike Bailey, which I thought was very interesting. But frankly, he's had a very quiet, uh, great, and workhorse year. He's done 59 matches that I found in this list, and uh, you know, all over the place. I think it's in 12 different promotions, plus the Mark Hitchcock Memorial Show, which isn't really a promotion. Um, based one and uh, he had a great year so I, I'm hopeful that people will uh, consider him for some awards when the year's over and also uh, if you haven't watched much of his stuff you should start uh, 2022 was his return to North American wrestling and he wasted no time just imagine if speedball would have been around for the last five years how how great and far along he would be yeah, he he really uh, developed a lot in DDT and uh, WXW over in Germany uh, during those years. Because what he did is he came to the U.S. and uh, without a work visa and got caught and was banned from the country for five years. Uh, so that was lifted. Impact was the one to sign him in the U.S. And he went out of his way to do a lot of indie matches and uh, just worked all over the country and did fantastic work everywhere. Yeah, that he did. Um, now you obviously speedball has the most points, but, um, who averaged out with the most points per match? Well, you have to consider that, uh, some people barely had any qualifying matches. So if we just, Mm -hmm. uh, just did like on a per match basis, it'd be guys like, uh, Musashi and Fujita Hayato and Canis, who only had one qualifying match as well as Templario in CMLL and Yuna Mizunori, who actually I'm not even sure offhand where that match took place. So, uh, but you know, if you put in a filter for um, at least uh, 10 matches, uh, let me pull that back up real quick and tell Excel what to do. Uh, number one is Will Ospreay. And I don't think that's much of a surprise to anyone uh, given the year he had. Um, the uh, next would be actually be June Kasai. Um, and the problem with him is he just didn't have a lot of stuff to make tape and get distributed widely. He did a lot of work mm-hmm. in Freedom or Freedoms and also uh, like promotion, you know, like 666, you know, like a very niche deathmatch promotion in Japan that hardly ever makes tape. Uh, three, four, and five are the elite Omega, then Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson. Um, and then the top 10 is rounded out by uh, Dax Harwood, Adam Page, Cash Wheeler. Kazusada Higuchi from DDT and uh, Okada, of course, from New Japan. Yeah, that's a pretty good list right there. Um, a lot of AEW representation, which we always like here on this podcast. Um, Fred, where can they read this? 
Uh, it'll be coming up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. Uh, it'll be titled something along the lines of, depending on what uh, Rich decides to do with it, um, but who finished 2022 as the best in-ring wrestler per cage match data. Tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. That is our bonus episode here today. Um, make sure that you go and leave us a five-star review. Um, if you have not subscribed to our individual feed titled The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry, please do. It makes a massive difference in helping us grow the product and be able to distribute this great content out to even more people. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can follow me on Twitter at The Real Forno or at The Vikings Wire, which I'm the managing editor. You can follow Fred at Flagrant Wrestling, like Ted Turner, not Vince McMahon. Um, uh, in the show notes, you'll also be able to find a link to Fred's Patreon where you'll be able to find even more wrestling goodness. Um, and then, like I said, give us a nice five-star review and help us grow the show. So, um, we can, we can continue to, you know, do this for you. Yeah. Uh, today I just published on my Patreon, uh, three, just very random match reviews, uh, there was a very good Gambari Pro match uh, between Tyson Maguchi and Mizuki Watase that I talked about. Then I uh, talked a little bit about a Seth Rollins-Austin Theory match from Raw a couple weeks ago. And then I finished it off by pulling up a very random uh, match from IWTV from a Quebec City indie with uh, Stu Grayson in the main event. So I just uh, wrote about all three of those. And uh, also, we will be recording this week on Thursday to get caught up after Dynamite. And uh, we'll talk to you guys then. Looking forward to it. Take care. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. Hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.